wherever in the world you are. Welcome to the Health Zone Show with Mihal O'Mahuna, where with each episode I explore interesting health and well-being topics with a thought-provoking guest. These topics can range from nutrition, relationships, spirituality, finance, creativity, mental health and much, much more, so that you can live a healthier, happier and more authentic life. Guests on the show vary from health experts, spiritual teachers, finance wizards, sports legends, to ordinary people with extraordinary lives. Find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show, or you can also join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Pain Interest under The Health Zone. Check out our new updated website, www.thehealthzoneshow.com. And at the moment, you can receive a free copy of my latest ebook, Seven Ways to Boost Your Overall Well Being When You Join the Health Zone. Today, I'm talking with Irish children's rights campaigner, charity worker, writer, and founder of the Christina Noble Children's Foundation, Christina Noble. Hello, Christina. Hello, Michal. Just Thanks. say hello to everybody. In Ireland and Cork, you know what I think about Cork. I love you. So okay, I'm going to do a, a kind of a D D. What you call them things? CD with the Cork Choir, children's choir down there, and Michael McCarthy. You know who was in the um, that big show in America? What do you call it? Well, Flatley is this Michael Flatley? No, Michael. I think it's Michael McCartney or McCarthy. I forget his name. He um. Was he in Miss Saigon or something? Oh, Les Miserables, okay, in in Australia. Yeah, I was on Australia <laughs> Channel 7 with him, and uh, he came out and he sang for me, and uh, it made me cry because um, I had managed to get Channel 7 to give me a film man, a cameraman, and uh, the, the, the lady broadcaster uh, to come out to Mongolia. I wanted to take them to the prisons and show them how tough it is in the country to work in that those conditions of 40 below and take them to the prisons because I wanted to change the children's prisons. Uh, we've It took a long time, I have to tell you, a lot of different ways to do it and uh, a lot of patience, but a lot of love and uh, respect and also that we're in someone else's country, which you may not always agreed with, agree with the laws, but nevertheless... You don't get anything by, uh, you know, chaining yourself up and screaming and shouting. But we have yeah. managed to do all these changes. And um, uh, that that's the lad um, who's who's going to do all the... Uh, you know, he's a brilliant uh, performer and all that. He's a great singer. He's well known. So um, he's an Irish fella and he's from Cork. And mm. he rang me from Los Angeles. And he said, would you do it? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it with the children's choir. Of course I will. So I don't know what I have to learn a few songs, maybe, you know. I know songs, but I don't know if they're going to be the same songs. Hopefully we get a few Bob as well. And we share it with the choir and with for us, for our children, you know. Christina, can you tell me what it was like growing up in Dublin for you? Oh, my friend. I'll tell you what it was like. Do you really want to know? Growing up in Dublin... In my childhood, my own, as you know, my background is, is one of pain and betrayal. And uh, the loneliness of living on the streets and cre- created in me a deep compassion for children who are neglected, homeless and without hope. I, I believe that all we, I went through as a, a young person, and not just me, my brothers and sisters, um, you know, uh, I mean, it's quite painful story, really. I People knew about me, but they didn't really know about my brothers and sisters. The first time we were in Ireland was, um, I think it was uh, last year, I, I can't remember which it was, June, July, uh, or March, March last year, for the first time in Dublin since we were kids in Ireland, um, in 53 years, we were together 
in my country here and their country. They hadn't been here since we were all separated as children and put into different institutions. Quite a strange experience. I could say a very beautiful experience, but yet a strange experience, you know. It's like a, we all talked about it. We never forgot each other, but it was like an emotional compass where you, you I, I, we eventually knew my sister was in Canada. My brother was in America. My other brother was dead. My other sister was, uh, where was she? She was in England. We all got together again. And you'd have to be with me to know. I can't explain it. I'm not even going to try. It was very tough. It was very hard. It was very, very painful. Time, long silences, and at other times, laughter and fun and me little memories, you know. I was born in the Liberties, as you know. I mean, I think everybody knows that. And Mummy um, died from tuberculosis and heart disease. Um, she was from Carrigan Shannon. She was a lovely woman, a, a lady, a beautiful lady, a good lady, a woman who used to help people fill their forms in because she was educated, you know. And she used to help the sick and the dying, wash them. She knew how to lay people out. She also helped people to lay tables for the weddings. And she was an amazing woman. She used to get old frocks and she turned them into small frocks for me and my other sisters. And she'd patch everything, all the socks and darn them. And uh, she was married to my father, who in the early his early years, very handsome, tall man, and a man who had um, prospects and sports, great sportsman. And um, anyway, he was good at soccer. He was good at uh, all, all sports. And he went into boxing and eventually got uh, damage, brain damage. And um, he ended up uh, with noise in his head. Uh, they did operate him in St. Kevin's Hospital, but uh, didn't make any difference. And um, permanent pain. So uh, he drank and drank and drank and drank, chronic alcoholic. He drank everything. Drank our confirmation clothes, community clothes. Drank everything. We had one wardrobe, which my mother got in a docket from Sloan's and paid every week for. He drank that. He, he drank the old bush radio, he drank everything, left us with nothing. I remember the morning my mother was being taken into St. Kevin's Hospital, she was dying, and she said to my little brother, Sean, is there anything in the cupboard? Is there anything left, any porridge left? And there was nothing, there was nothing, zero. And she asked me to go and find my father, and I found him. I found him across, uh, I tried the local places, couldn't find him. And then I found him at over the bridge and I found him in a big pub. I forget the name of it now, but um, he was already drinking, semi-drunk. And I told him he had to come back, that my mummy was very sick. And I heard Dr. Finnegan saying she was dying. And it was a job to get him back. I got back, my mummy was already taken away. I saw a bit of her, you know, a little bit of her coming down, and she looked back, she looked, she could hardly. Uh, never forget that look. And then we had to go to the hospital where they issued the dying pass to my father at St. Kevin's Hospital. It's now called St. James's, known as the old Parper Hospital. And uh, she died within a week, not even a full week. So I saw my mama die, and I had my confirmation frog on me, my pink one. And all her blood came up. She had a, I think it's called a hemochromesis or something like that. That was the end of that. That was really the big, we were already poor. But when you're poor, you can find a way through. As long as you're together. As long as you're together. And with the kind of mum we had, we'd have found a way through. I'm sure we would. But uh, without mum, there was nothing to hold on to. There was nothing left. It was over. I then tried to look after my brothers and sisters. The youngest one was about three and a half, for Philomena, who's in Canada now. And um, I do my best, you know. I used to go down to market at one or two o'clock in the, I beg your pardon, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, 
the old Smithfield, you know, and try to get there. Uh, whatever vegetables you'd find, you know, they cut the outside of the cabbage leaves on the ground and try to get a few potatoes and um, uh, the old oranges, the ones that were blue, uh, kind of mouldy on the outside. To get where I could and bring them back and there was a, a fire, burn the oilcloth and put a black pan on the fire and try to do something with them for the cook for them, you know, and even the skins I used to keep for the next day and fry the skins. So I know about poverty, I know all about it, and I know about six of us sleeping in one bed. I know I lost two brothers as well. Two brothers died, there was eight. And I saw a little coffin in my father's hand. And uh, we all had scurvy, ringworm, a lot of kids did anyway. But um, fleas, you name it. I bought paraffin oil, powder over my sister's head. My brothers had to try and kill the fleas because all their necks were swollen and there was big scabs on them. And I tried to do what I could and I was really afraid of it getting into their eyes. Put it under the old tap in the big ceramic sink and do my best, you know. I was only small like myself and I was about ten and a half or something. And um, my older brother, uh, Michael, he joined the Irish Army. He was 13 on my dead brother's certificate because one died early. And um, there was three dead, but one died before Michael was born. And um, his name was Tommy. And uh, my my brother got into the Irish Army and he, and he said to him again, he's very young. He was very young. And then a year later, they found out. And then he went to England. And would you believe it? He got into the Irish Guards. You see, you got to think about that, you know, spouse survival. Very smart kids. We were smart, intelligent kids. Mommy wanted us to have a good education. And Michael, Michael was get the he passed his primary, you see. And um, but anyway, to cut a long story short, Michael ended up a doctor. He had a, a practice in Ville and Ryan by the Black Forest near Basel, on the borders, you know, Switzerland. A great guy, but he died, you know. I only saw him about four times in my life, short moments few minutes. It was strange. It didn't seem like on my brother, but he was. And um, the rest we were, uh, I do my best anyway, you know. I used to get down to my knees and scrub the oil. There, was <laughs> there wasn't, wasn't much oil left, oil cloth left, so I used to get down to my knees and scrub the boards, you know. Jeez, I had to start breaking up the boards then and um, to light a fire, you know. And I make uh, sticks out of them bundles and um, go off selling it, you know, up to South Circular Road and around the flats, you know, penny a bundle, three bundles for two pence, you know, that kind of stuff. Pushing this pan with three wheels. It wasn't easy, I'll tell you. And winkles, go and pick it in winkles, you know, from the ocean when the sea went out, bring the winkles back in a sack, walk all the way back because you wouldn't have money for a bus fare. And, um, then I used to boil them on the old black pot in the fire and make coals out of the um, newspaper, you know. Get the old newspapers that was left from Mixer. The Mixer was the newspaper man. And um, make coals and sell them, you know. Stick a pin in the top of the newspaper and sell them. So you did whatever you could. You did whatever you could, you know, uh, to feed the family, like. And then... Um, I remember giving a letter to Mikey Mooney, who had a vegetable shop down in down in the end of Arabella. It wasn't like it is now. There's a lot of tenements and stuff. And I, I asked him for a half stone of potatoes and a head of cabbage. And my mum said she'd pay a Friday. I had a little note. I wrote the note myself, but I put my mum's name down. It was well dead. And uh, he let me have it, but I went again. He wouldn't let me have it. He said, your mother's dead, Christine. So uh, all things like that, you know, to survive. So we know all about survival. And then we were taken up to getting evicted and all that stuff, you know. And uh, we were taken up. I asked the corporation man. I went down to, um, I think it's called Lord Edward Street at the time. And I just remembered this big building. And I asked somebody about the corporation. So I went up the stairs. And I couldn't see a man over the counter. 
I was asking him, would they, would they let us give us a chance for another few weeks and we get the money for them and all that? And he told me to go home. He ran me out of it. So we lost the place, you know. And uh, my father took us up to an aunt and an uncle who weren't very kind at all. They both alcoholics. Didn't take much to make them drunk, I can tell you, with the bottles of stout and the brown bag. And um, he used to threaten us with a red poker. I, I don't want to go into that, you know. He, he'd done a lot of damage to my brother as well. And he used to try and abuse us. And um, we had a very hard time. We had a very hard time. And uh, I eventually had to take my sisters to St. Stephen's Hospital because they had a lot of pain and everything. And uh, they had to fumigate us. And we got all these big things of malt. They gave me paper to go to the chemist to get all this malt and perishes food. Can't remember what it was all about. Something perishes food and malt. And then uh, two days later, the man with the peat cap came and we were taken to Dublin Castle to the children's court where we were then separated. And I hardly ever went to school. And your man, Dickie Clark, told him that I hardly ever went to school. He said he was going to get me anyway, and he did. And um, so they separated me from my brothers and sisters. They sent me to a place up in uh, North Dublin. It's like a Magdalene laundry place. And I ran away from there, and then they got me back. And then I ran away, jumped out the window. The top window broke me, like, in my arms and my ribs and everything. And uh, I crawled. You see, I'm a, I'm a very strong kid, you know. Imagine having all that. Obviously, I went out for a while. And then I woke up on the stones. And uh, I, I was dragging myself, trying to get back to Maribyrnian Flats. And I was dragging myself and dragging myself. And I got as far as Kevin Street. And then I remembered... There was a man there who used to paint, um, he used to go out with one of the roaches and I went in, I, I, I was knocking and banging and oh, it was in terrible shock and pain, I was in hell. And he, I'm not going to go into that because that's another story on its own. I just learned everybody was out to abuse you at a very early age. But I, I then ended up in the, what do you call that place, the old Adelaide Hospital, the old Adelaide, you know. And uh, they were put, put oh, they were all rushed to me. It's funny, a, a nurse who was a junior at the time left us some money for the foundation, and she died. And she told a story about me, you know, into the lawyers on the letter. Anyway, that's a, a different story again. There's lots of stories, but um, uh, but anyway, I I heard them saying about to call the police or something. I got out of there and then dragged myself to Maribyrnian Flats where I ended up, I collapsed and I, a woman named Mrs Sweeney, she called Dr Finnegan where I was put into the hospital. I was in hospital several months. I had to have surgery on my legs. And then I was taken to, um, I was there for a long time, you know, all this platter parlors and in this big cage. Then I heard, uh, I heard Dr O'Neill, he was my doctor. The doctor was short big black glasses, round horn rim glasses. It was a nice enough job now. He never said much to me. He just said to them, she'd be able to go back now. I heard him saying that and I said to myself, oh my God, they're going to send me back to work with the police again. And so I, I uh, that was on the uh, Friday. He said about the Monday. And so on the Sunday, Jamie talking quiet as if it was happening now. Yeah. And this, <laughs> Oh, that's unbelievable. But on the Sunday, I um, the Sunday was the day the nuns would be in, because they were nursing nuns, you know. And the day would be in their prayers a lot all day Sunday. Do you know what I mean? So that was the best day to to make it get away. And now my leg was, uh, my leg was out of plaster now. I had learned to walk again and everything. But I still had one plaster Paris still on my arm. And uh, but I got out, and I went. I went out the back way, by by the morgue, you know. And out, I got out onto the basin, which is the back of Basin Lane School, because I know all that area well. And I hid there, I hid there. But eventually, I managed. I slept there too, and I got a ma I got hold of a a man who was cutting his whatever you call them hedges. And that time you could leave, I thought, well, I know he left his thing on the hedges. He was eating his lunch or something. And I managed to get it, and I managed to get this plaster of Paris off. It took hours and hours. 
And I looked at my arm, I looked very thin looking to the other arm. I said, Jesus, I got thin arm and a, another different arm. I remember saying that to myself, and I thought, I don't care. They Now they won't catch me because they'd be looking for somebody with a plaster of Paris. And that's when I went up to the park. I, I slept everywhere. I slept on the side of the canal. I slept anywhere I could, and I, I slept in the park. I made a den for myself in the park. Not open park, not in an open. It wasn't in the open. It was it was it was like inside the inside wall of the Cunningham Road, where I I took some people to have a look at. You know, it still looks the same. You can tell where I dug up and everything, and hid. So I eventually ended up look. To eat was very difficult. I had three leaves. I had cardboard. Oh yeah, oh geez, I couldn't eat the maggots. I used to hate them. The maggots frightened the life out of me and the rats. But um, I had, to, I still had a pride in me, you know. I had pride, and I could look through the rails really low and move up a bit further and further. And I see people sometimes with their kids, you know, and they'd be eating their lunch, uh, whatever it was called. They, I suppose they had picnics or something. And um, I'd wait till they gone and try and see if there was anything left, you know. Didn't get a lot because if there was on that, so used to give it to the ducks a lot and go over to where the ducks were and give it to them. And uh, but sometimes I'd be a bit lucky. Um, I used to go into town and eat the candle grease in John's Lane Chapel because they used to have the big candles at the time and all the grease would be coming down. And um, I had to get it when no one was looking. And um, I ended up in I did that, yeah. And then I ended up there was a Woolworths in Thomas Street at the time. No, it was down in Henry Street. Woolworths. I didn't go around Thomas Street because I was afraid. Because they might tell the police, you know, that's, that I was around. And I went to, um, where do you call that place? Uh, I think, now I think it was Henry Street. Don't go, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it was somewhere down there. And you went up the stairs, there was a canteen up the stairs. I used to wash myself in Nail Street in the back of the tenement before I went. I'd wash myself, wash my face. And uh, to be honest with you, I had to take my nickels off and wash my nickels and put them in my pocket to see if I could get them to dry in the daytime walking around. Um, I was only a little kid, like, you got to think about that. And um, you go up to Woolworths and you'd be looking and, and see what, if anyone left on. It was hard, you know. You put your hand up, your, like you'd hold your sleeve down out your hand and put it on the thing and try and take and put it your sleeve. I go, but you were always frightened, you know, in case the cops got your the cards, you know. And um, you were always frightened somebody grab hold of you and report, oh, Jesus, call you robber and everything was hard. And because man brought us up very religiously, you know, saying the rosary every night and confession on a Saturday. Go to confession, sometimes no sins to tell, but you still had to go. Said the same thing every week. Two Hail Marys in an act of contrition or something like that every week. And sometimes you'd say, Mama, I haven't had any things. We still had to go. Dead communion, you know. So you, you had that in your head as well. You die, you go to hell and burn in hell and everything. And you never stop. And you were terrified of it. So you couldn't rob a cake or something. You couldn't rob a cake. I wanted to rob a cake a few times, but I couldn't rob it, you see. Because I was so scared of burning in the hell. And um, it was a very hard way to live. And uh, I got infections in my legs and from the cold, you know, the shield blades and they all got infected and sent a poison in my legs. And I ended up in, down at the hospital again and bandaged from top to bottom. It's a long, long story. And then the police caught me, you know. They caught me. My, I did see my father sometimes. He was living in Benbourg Street in a hostel. And um, I did see him mostly when I saw him, he was drunk, you know. But sometimes he gave me the money to buy a bag of chips. And I'd buy the bag of chips. I lived on chips and uh, anything else I could get hold of, you know. I ended up, uh, I got caught anyway, to be honest with you. And um, I, I got caught, yeah. The police got me. The big, tall policeman got me. And they were very big policemen. That's what I think anyway. And they said, watch this one. She's as wild as a rat and get it through the window. And they got me. Because I was over Kyo, I think it was called Kyo Barracks. It's like a little cell. And my father had a little tiny uh, 
thing bed there that he got from the Calvaration. Because mostly he was in the, the Bamborb Street, which was a hostel. Anyway, they gave him this. It was like a little cell. I think it must have been a British barracks or something. I don't know what the hell it was. It was tiny anyway. And then he said to me, you had this place up there and I could go there. And I went there. And it was only one little tiny bed. And I slept at the end of the bed and he slept at the top. I want to say my father never in any shape or form abused us in in uh, uh, the sexual sense or beatings or stuff like that. My father never did anything like that. And that's why I still love my dad. He wasn't like that. He's, his sickness and disease was alcoholism. Was alcoholism. And that's why he couldn't take care of us. He couldn't look after us. And I'm making excuses for him. But uh, he used to sing the white colonial boy and everything. And he played the half more, uh, harmonica to us when we were very small and everything. It's just since he got all that stuff wrong with him that he all changed. But anyway, um, I, I, uh, I just take a few moments, okay? Well, fine, you take your time, Christina. Yeah, just a few moments. I just have to take my cup of tea. I love the cup of tea, even if it's cold, you know. My tea is a good sense of, the source of comfort to me. I hope you're drinking Barry's tea. Oh, jeez, I wouldn't drink anything else. Oh, exactly. don't be, should I put Barry's tree around the world? Everyone knows Barry's. I talk to everyone, no matter where I am, even in the bleeding desert. If you, Barry's tea. I have talked to the Vietnamese government about Barry's tea. I have talked everywhere I've gone. And anyone who works with me knows it. Anyone who works with me. And they say, if you're going out to Christina, bring her Barry's tea. Barry's tea. She won't drink anything else. And I won't drink any other tea, only Barry's. And we bring loads of tea out. And if Jean comes out, me, Jean Morta, she comes out with me and she, she, she brings the Barry's tea. She, I say, did you get the big, big one? She says, yeah, I got two. And I said, I've got one as well. I've got two. You see, but my son only likes berries, so he has that. Yeah, everybody knows about berries. Hey, I love you, Mia. Thanks. Yeah, you're, thanks. you're from Cork, aren't you? I am, Christina, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, I love Cork. I love Cork. I love it. And the Cork people know. I love them. Do they listen and to your show? A very strong listenership. You, no, I, I want to say hello to them. I want to say thank you for all your support, your continued support. But most of all, thank you for the love that you've always shown me. And uh, it has always meant so much to me. I can't help it. I just get a bit tearful because uh, they have always been so kind to me. I can't even begin to tell you. I can't, honestly. Thank you. I've even said to Jane, I'd love to live in Cork, you know. But um, to, to go on to everything else, I want to say that... Uh, you know, I was eventually caught, you know what I mean? I was caught again, and I was put down into the that place, where do you call it, Connemara, out in the sticks, you know? And it was a, it was called a, an industrial school. Oh, my God. And my brother, I didn't even know. He was in up the road in um, one mile away in, uh, God, what was the name of that place? Um Letter Frack, you know Letter Frack? Yeah, I've heard of it. Awful place that time, in those days, you know. It's a private place now. My brother's writing a book, and guess what the name of the book he's calling it? He only told me the other night, he rang me from Texas. Shall I tell you the name of the book? Do please, Christina. Yeah. It's, I'm just telling you this for it. I find it something very deep. He's called it, um, he loves his country, by the way, so much, you'll never know. His house is full of Celtic records and his house is full of all the 1916 people, you know, and the great poets and big map, you know. I'm sad because all, so recently we've all been together and it's opened up a lot of I don't mind crying. It's healthy to cry as well, you know. It's yes. not going to pretend. And I'm not a pretender. I'm saying it the way it is, you know. And I do my work straight down the line the way it is. I don't play play with people's lives. But um, he called it Hidden in the Rose. You know what the rose is? I don't. Well, I tell you what the rose is. The rose is Ireland. 
loves his country. He loves Ireland. He thinks it's the most beautiful country in the world, hidden in the beauty of this country. We all know about the abuses and the horrible things that went on. But in such a beautiful country, you know, beautiful country and beautiful people. I guess no matter where you go in life, you're always going to find them. The bad guys, no matter who they are, bad women, it's not just men. But uh, he suffered terrible abuse there. I, I can't even begin to tell you. I don't want to tell you. Let him tell his own story. He's a very intelligent man, very bright, and um, highly, highly intelligent. Work his backside off to get where he is today. Became a research chemist for Siba Geige in Switzerland. And uh, he didn't, he wouldn't uh, research on animals, only on the plants. He'd never research and cause pain to anything. None of us can do that, you know. None of us are capable of putting pain on anything. Anything that moves, we put them out, out the window. We can't hurt any animals. We love all the animals. All my children are the same, all animals. I don't care what animals they are, just love them all. And what insects, we just love them all. And I get cross with my daughter too, because she said about the mosquitoes. I said, but they carry disease. Said, oh, kill the mosquito. I said, I know, I'm trying to put them out the window. You know, this is in Vietnam. Anyway, so to cut a long story short, Philomena and Cathy were put into another place in Booterstown. They were only teachers, you know, really. And Philomena was terribly abused, very badly, up in an attic, you know, by a priest, you know, and she was only nine years, ten years old. And uh, the nun knew as well, you know, the nun was sent to retreat, you know. But anyway, that's, don't want to go into all that stuff because we've dealt with that, you know. It's all been dealt with by the Commission of Inquiry and everything. And we've gone through it all. And I know there's good priests in the world, you know beautiful people. There's beautiful nuns in the world. There was a beautiful nun who looked after Mammy when she was so sick. And I had great friends. Good, you have a great laugh with them and everything who are nuns. I've nothing against nuns. Nothing. I've got nothing against people. I don't care if they're priests or they're Buddhas or whoever. I have nothing against anyone because everybody is entitled who love their God, whoever he is, whether it's Muhammad or Buddha, or whether it's our Lord Jesus Christ, who I love. I love her. I love him, by the way. I really love him to pieces. And I still chat to him. He saved my life so many times. Kept me sane. <laughs> I had no hatred in me for anyone. Christina, most people say if they experience what happened in the life that you lived, they would probably would be very angry and bitter. How come you're not? I was angry. Oh, God, I was so angry. You'll never know. God, I was angry. I don't know about the bitter bit, but God, I was angry. God, I was shouting and screaming out when my brothers and sisters came over. And I, wa I was doing this documentary thing, and they took me up to where Sean was. And I knew the story that they didn't know what they did to Sean. My brother spent several months in Galway Hospital. I think that says everything. And um, up at the, the graveyard that's hidden up in the, the woods up there, and all the boys' graves, some of them as young as six, seven, nine, ten, fourteen, fifteen. 10, 14, 15. And it was an American man who came back and he put, he, he spent a lot of money trying to find the names of these children and put little stones on them, you know, with their names on it and everything. Uh, they told Sean he was going to go into grave 13. But they made Sean, they made him also drown the kittens, you know. 
my brother loves animals. If he had a choice, I'd drown the kittens. Or you can come and I'll show you where your sister is. God forgive them. Only God can forgive them, I think. But uh, when he, I don't want to talk about that. But John came to the government, you know, door and asked about me. He was told I'd left a year ago. And he knew I hadn't, and he went back again, and then they told him I was dead. But each and every one was, when we asked for a piece of paper to write and find out where the others were, we were told they were dead. So, I don't know what to say to you, really. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what kind of a world that time it was either. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, look, Michal, you can, you can live this life and hate the world and hate society and blame everybody and never grow, never develop at all. Or you can take it the whole lot of it. You can say to yourself, I'm going to take this, these terrible experiences and I'm going to use them in a very constructive way. I know what it's like to be nothing and nobody. I know what it's like to be isolated. I know what it's like to know timeless time, just time, time, till it became timeless, nothing, nothing. To be so, so alone that you knew that big people didn't see you anymore. You didn't exist. And in the end, you couldn't see the big people either. I know what it's like, all of it. I know what it's like to live like an animal in a den. I know what it's all about. I know the whole thing from top to bottom. I know what it's like to be pointed out. Don't play with her. Don't play with that young one. I understand separation perhaps more than most outside of the Jewish people who were went through the hell in Germany and I know all about that hunger, starvation, disease but guess what, you know, my mommy my mommy was a great lady my mommy, for the years, she, few years she had with us she laid a foundation about respect for other people about how to carry the old lady's bag and don't expect anything back. About sharing. About music. About singing. About dancing, tap dancing. And, you know, about love. She taught us so much. She left us love. She left us love. We couldn't ever forget that. And that's what we grew on. That's what we built. That's why we're still here. That's why we're still alive. And that's why we're all good people. Not one of us have ever hurt anybody. Never hurt an animal. Never hurt a person. And we all care about humanity. Each and every one of us. And all my children care about humanity. Each and every one of them. My grandson gave a talk in Mongolia, first human rights talk when he was nine, nine years old. You know, he's in the acting profession now. He's young. He's a very good little actor. He's a beautiful poet. 
and he also studies self-defence, and he's very good at it. My other grandson, Thomas, works in Mongolia. He's also very, very well-educated, smart human being, and a beautiful person. And his partner, Lucy, beautiful people, kind and good and decent. My son, Nicholas, who's been in Vietnam for a very long time with his wife, Gaynor, who's Scottish and Irish, and the little daughter, Eleni. And my daughter, Helen, who works to the point that I worry about her for the foundation. My other daughter, who's a doctor in psychotherapy, psychology for, pa for pediatrics, and also works at Christ Hospital for the children. And I think I'm very lucky, you know. I thank God for walking with me and for giving me the strength and the love and not letting me lose anything to take this journey and help others. I could not stand by, I couldn't stand by and just hear all this stuff, children suffering. And I saw it in a dream, but I'm sure I saw it on telly. I don't know. I was working very hard. I don't know. I saw it in a dream. You know, someone, it's like a crazy thing, isn't it? To go to the other side of the world. I had to wait till my kids went into college and uni and they say, it's okay, you can go, Mum. Yeah, it was the right time too. And I want to say what's most important, more than I've had terrible diseases, I've had cancer. I'm talking serious cancer. I fought through that. Right through it. Even the doctors, they call me, yeah, I forget what I say, I have the constitution of a steel ox. I've had surgery in my nose, at the base of the, what do you call that, the base of the brain here. I've had it all, and I've had it in the, the throats, lumps, and half thyroids taken out, and all kinds of stuff, stomach, massive pelvic tumours taken out, and... Oh, God, I don't even go into, it, go into it all. But, you know, I'm here. I'm healthy. I'm healthy now. I, I have a bit of high blood pressure sometimes, but that means that quickly looks after me, you know. And um, I've had a bit of heart stuff done as well. <laughs> but they're very... <laughs> oh, jeez, he's listening. He says she's off our rocker. <laughs> but um, uh, all of it. I feel the most strongest, one of the most strongest people that God put in the earth. And he really, if he wanted to show me how tough it was, the journey I was about to embark on, by God, did he let me learn it from very small. <laughs> and it it really did. It's stood. It's funny. It's funny. I don't know. I'm able to stand up to a lot of it. And the most important thing, I can be all of that and had all that life and all this la 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 la. But you know what's most important? Is that everything is done properly. I don't go there and think, oh, these are my children. Oh, but the Lord. Oh, I'm the only one can save them. That's a lot of bullshit. And I don't go there with um, my own crap as well because I spent 13 years in therapy with a wonderful woman named Madeleine Etherington who was a fantastic therapist. I didn't do it all together because you had the breaks in between. And I had a great doctor, Dr. Sean O'Connell, in England. Fantastic guy in Woking. And, you know, I also had my own determination. And I had my own destiny. In Vietnam, they say, Doi Din Bao Shou Pham. I can only follow my destiny. And I know for sure I will never regret the road I took because uh, there's over 700,000 kids in real terms have their life back. In real terms. That means health-wise, protected, clothed, educated, 
still with their families, working with the family, what's left of the family, if there's a ma or a da or just a grandma. No kid is left out to, to be destroyed. We have over, uh, I can't remember now, over about 30,000 um, communities, which we have done a lot for. And we've a lot of kids who graduated from high school, stack of them who've a huge amount of graduated from university, getting their masters and everything. Well, one lad at the moment, he wanted to be an engineer when he was small. Um, he's in Tokyo. He qualified at university, done all he's, what he had to do, but now he's, he's in the real world and they're teaching and training him to be one of the great engineers of the world. Kids who have become teachers, doctors, uh, kids who are engineers, all, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things. Education officers, social workers, some of them work for us. And um, we also work with a team of Irish doctors, um, Professor Cobley, Professor Redmond, it's a whole stack of them. They come and they teach open heart surgery and have been for donkey's years coming every year to teach. Teach, 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 teach. And they really need to be applauded and I believe they should be given recognition for their work. You know, they just do incredible work. We all work together in association with each other. They do the pediatric hospital number two, you know, and um, the, uh, what you call it, you know, with the legs and the limbs and all that kind of stuff. There's all stack of them. Oh, they're brilliant there. And Ireland is a little country, but doing big things. You better believe it, doing big, big things. You know, kids in shelter, well, I call them bird's nests, you know, where the little, the big bird protects the little birds. I told the staff, stop calling it shelters, it's not sheltered. That's a home, you know. They, 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 they drive me nuts sometimes, you know, with that word. And um, all those kids are doing brilliant, a lot of them have graduated, I think, the last three, what were they, surveyor, architect, and the other one was in uh, design, wasn't he in design? And uh, the boys, that's the boys. <laughs> then we have the girls, you know. Hodges, oh, they're great fun. And we sing, we sing, we sing. I just love to sing. Of course, I've lost my voice, you know. But I love to sing. And um, the kids know that and they all sing. Should they sing Athan Roy for Bertie O'Hearn when he came out? Bertie O'Hearn came out. And we didn't know he was going to come. He'd been up the north of Vietnam. I guess they were doing some government. It was the Asian, I forget what it was called, Cross Asia, and he had to go there. And uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, then he had to go to Malay, Malaysia. Uh, but anyway, they did a stop in uh, Ho Chi Minh, and there we were. He came up with uh, some of the people from the foreign office and all those kind of people. And they came, and there was other kind of people there and everything. And um, he opened up our new medical and social centre. And um, he couldn't believe the size of it. He said, I had no idea of the size of your operations. I had no idea of the quality of them. I know, yeah, but we don't get no money off you, mate. You know? And um, he said, give her some money. <laughs> give her some money. <laughs> don't say that's fair, all right? And um, so... Uh, the kids sang, you know, the little ones, uh, the little ones, because we have little babies who are very sick and everything. We have all kinds of children, kindergartens, all over the whole country. And uh, we, we have we've built on top of high mountains, Garda Síochána, the fraud squad, the fraud squad, Garda Síochána in Dublin, they um, they got us uh, money. They, they raised a lot of money for us. We built a huge big school on top of a mountain for the ethnic minority people, a beautiful school. And then we brought the fraud squad sergeant or inspector, I forget, what was his name, Pascal Walsh, to show him, oh, geez, he couldn't believe he had to go so far up this mountain. Anyway, he couldn't, he said, I can't believe what I saw. Can't believe it, the quality of the building, the everything, unbelievable. 
He cried. He just cried. And a big thing up Garda Sheikhana. They gave us the money to do this. And um, thank you, Garda Sheikhana, if you're listening to me. I know everybody thinks they're always getting at them, but I think you're great. Garda Mila Mahagut. I could tell you a whole stack of stuff, you know, couldn't I? But I just don't know if you want me to, you know. I could, do you want me, I tell you what we've done. We've got the Children's Medical and Social Centre. It provides an integrated programme of services for abandoned babies, destitute children, sick and malnourished infants, and their parents. Now, the facilities include intensive care units, outpatients clinic and dental clinic, residential care facilities, daycare facilities. The centre provides an international standard of health care to 1,000 disadvantaged children per month suffering from various medical and social problems. Medical assistance programme we have support children in urgent need of medical assistance, including life-saving surgery, corrective surgery, that's for the legs and everything they can't walk, and post-operative care, which enable children to eventually lead a normal life. Medical exchange programme with the Royal College of Surgeons Ireland. The exchange programme was established in 2003 with Professor Martin Corby of the Royal College and is designed to help establish best practice in all areas of paediatric surgery whilst bringing world-class medical expertise from Ireland to Vietnam on a regular basis and while also taking key local Vietnamese medical staff to Ireland to train. The Sunshine Children, oh no, I better say the Sunshine Schools, hadn't I? Free education, food and medical monitoring between the ages of 5 and 16 years old. Residential homes for very vulnerable boys and girls provide a sanctuary of safety from sexual and economic exploitation. Trafficking, which will destroy them, providing all educational needs and vocational training. The Education Scholarship Programme to support underprivileged children who are at risk of dropping out of school due to financial difficulties and supporting them right through to college and university. Vocational training and job placement programmes provides former, former street children with the opportunity to obtain steady employment. Microfinance loans provide loans to help desperate parents of street and disadvantaged children to set up their own businesses. Loan repayments are redistributed to other families to also help them develop income streams and become self-sustainable. All these things happen, by the way, and are very successful. Tainin Centre for the Visually Impaired. These children are blind, a lot of them born with no eyes, to Agent Orange and through the genes, all this stuff comes. No eyes at all. I love them, I do. And I'd love to find somebody who knows who's a teacher for the blind to come help and train the others there, the other teachers there. You know, we provide residential education, vocational training for the children who are visually impaired from the after effects of Agent Orange. And also, I just want to tell you, and they do Braille and everything, you know, they are educated. We have uh, three of them at the moment in, in uh, oh no, one's just graduated from Saigon University. The other two are graduating this year. And he's working for us. His name is Tam. And he plays beautiful music as well. They all play music. They have a band and everything. The foundation continues to build kindergartens, schools, medical stations and water wells as part of the community development and capacity growth efforts. Now, Blue Skies Gear Village provides a home for street children, most of whom have been orphaned or abandoned or come from families unable to provide for them with the care they require. Blue Skies Day Centre 
care centres, looks after children between the ages of one to five years old, whose parents are unable to care for them during the day in search of employment. Education and play therapy, classes, meals, extracurricular activities are provided. Free healthcare clinics for the families and children of CNCF, highly trained nurses also do home visits where required. The Foundation also works in the boys' prison in Ulaanbaatar and has completely changed the way. We have provided full academic classes and courses in computer technology and bakery and other crafts. We have also worked with Minister of Justice, the Governor, and I have sent, by the way, they thought they were going on holidays, I have sent all these wardens to... Um, a place of meditation and what do you call that thing? Yoga for a few days. And uh, we have helped tens of thousands of children through the child sponsorship pro program alone, providing children with educational healthcare and development support. Now I could highlight the, the children's vulnerabilities and the horrific stuff that goes on. And you've got to understand, we walk in the Gobi Desert as well, and we walk in 40 below zero in the winter and 60 below in the desert. And that's no easy task. And I have had pneumonia there a couple of times. But however, you probably saw me coming up out there. Did you ever see me coming up out those holes in the ground? What do you call them? Like this, what do you call them? The manholes, you know? I go down the manholes and get all the kids out. You know, some of them lose their ears and their hands. And, you know, I get them all, get them a good feed and change all their clothes. And then I get them to have a good bath, you know. I, I look after them and I love them. And I love each and every one of them. And nobody can put a finger near the children. Anybody who thinks they, they don't love the kids, they can get out. I have no time for for people who want to be heroes. There's no heroes. The heroes are the kids, all right? The people who work with them are great people, loving, caring people, and I'm very particular about that. And i just tell you one poem before you go, all right? This is really say a poem, okay? Do we, yeah, please do. I wrote this poem for my father when I was a kid. Well, I wasn't that much of a kid. I was a young person, all right? Hid bloodshot eyes, twisted lip. The dead stare of blank wall reflecting grey the shadows of his past. Stagnant in alcohol, he moans and groans, no kind and gentle tones. In the stillness of darkness, burning great shooting blazing images on one chair but empty room, together alone, dancing in the gloom. My heart he tore, my love he wore. He could hurt without hurting, freeze without freezing, but he could never thaw the pain to gentle rain. Oh, that foolish man, he never goes, but I needed him, God knows, and where is time now, old man? You have no time since you left me in my mama's womb. Under glowing black clouds, dark naked moon, I lay you in your tomb, whiskey sold a sour, bittersweet taste no more. Alas, old girl, your little girl has now closed the door. I do love you, Pia. I do love you. That's it. And the final is my lonely prison wall. I heard a young girl calling. Michael. They are taking you away. For you stole Trevelyan's corn, so the young might see them on. And now the prison ship lies waiting in the bay. Low lie the fields of Athen where once we watched the small free birds fly. Oh, baby, let the free birds fly.
Her love was on the wing. Lord, we dreams with songs to sing. It's so lonely around the fields of Athenry. The fields of Athenry is fantastic, Christina. Thanks very much. God bless you, sir. Thank you, Same to you. Thank you too, Christina. My Bye now. To all the listeners. I will. Thank you. I love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to another inspiring and thought-provoking show of The Health Zone. I'm Michal Mahuna. Just to remind you, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or you can join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and pin interests under The Health Zone. To gain further invaluable resources on health and well-being, go to our website, www.thehealthzoneshow.com thehealthzoneshow.com When you're on there, join The Health Zone and you'll receive a free copy of my latest ebook, Seven Ways to Boost Your Overall Well-Being. Finally, I would love to hear any feedback you may have on the show and even if there are any particular guests or topics which you're interested in, please email me on tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com Until next time, this is Michal. Thanks for listening and I wish you a very healthy, happy and authentic week.